Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Alan McHugh, Unit Chief of the FBI's Cyber Division, Cybercrime Tactical Intelligence Unit. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Alan, thanks for joining me. Thanks to you, Anthony. I appreciate the chance to be here. Very good. All right, Alan, lots of fun stuff to talk about today. Serious <laughs> issues, but we're going to have fun with it, right? So sure. we should be able to do that. Okay, your role. Um, you know, I usually ask people to talk about their organization and their role. So if, if you want to give us any highlights on the FBI for people, yeah. um, for strange people who may not be familiar with it. Otherwise, more about your role, which is certainly an sure. interesting one. Well, yeah, you never know. We always like the opportunity to share who the FBI is, who we are, and what we do, especially in in what we're going to talk about today, the cybercrime space. We have a very unique and, uh, I would say, powerful role in this space. Um, today is a perfect opportunity of one of our strategy pillars is try to engage the public in um, understanding mutually uh, understandable threats uh, between public and private sector, and, and in this case, the healthcare sector. I'm the unit chief of the Cybercrime Tactical Intelligence Unit. Uh, essentially, all of my resources are focused on analyzing and investigating um, cyber criminal incidents, uh, threat actors, groups of individuals, ransomware gangs, uh, or variants, if you will. Uh, but we also build an information data resource that lends awareness to a, a defensive posture as well. We use our incident information to inform network defense strategies. Uh, my unit, our uh, reason for being is we are, you know, in the, in the cybersecurity parlance, we are intelligence as a service. We support operations. We also raise awareness on criminal threats to a lot of different audiences. All right. Very good. So does the FBI have any resources broken down by industry? Um, so for example, obviously we're, we're here for focused on healthcare. That's our audience. Sure. Uh, do you have resources split up that way or is it, is it not done that way? Uh, it's more focused regionally throughout the nation, right? So we have 56 field offices. We have overseas offices. Um, our focus on cyber criminal activity is mapped more to a region uh, rather than an industry, if you will. Now, at our headquarters division, we will have groups of individuals focused on threats and vulnerabilities. Um, you know, elections, for example, is an area where we would be focused on working closely with government facilities and and subsectors. So, uh, but more of our response and our intelligence and our engagement um, mission is is more mapped to a regional construct. Okay, very good. So, yeah, one of the things I wanted, wanted to ask you is, um, you know, FBI, you think, you know, dealing with the crime, which would be a sort of a post-event type thing, mm. um, and that maybe, you know, uh, CISA, entities like CISA would be more on the advisories, best practices, and that kind of a thing. But it sounds like you have some stuff going on there, some resources that you might want people to be aware of around threat intelligence and some other stuff. So. Um, let's get people thinking correctly about what what the FBI can do for them. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I would say the FBI, look, we're an investigative agency, but we absolutely play in the arena of uh, prevention and, and mitigation and defense of networks. Uh, we have built what um, I'm very proud of, uh, an FBI CISA partnership for the StopRansomware.gov platform. Uh, for us, it's a one-stop shop of 
prioritization showing where uh, the U.S. government's priorities are when it comes to ransomware, but also really tailored solutions for network defense. And we, we've started this project about a year and a half ago where we'll actually publish IOCs and TTPs you know, for, for variants, tailored messaging for specific variants. But we'll also issue very general alerts. Um, when we started this program about two years ago, we were doing pre-holiday messaging, trying to put people on notice that holidays are a very important time for cyber criminal actors to uh, breach networks while businesses are vacant. So uh, a lot of messages on stopransomware.gov um, I would be really remiss in leaving this conversation today and not highlighting the value there. And I think we'll have some opportunities to talk more about it. But from a from a, a mission and authorities standpoint, the FBI is is an investigative agency. We're an intelligence agency as well. But the opportunities that we have to conduct investigations affords us the luxury of information and and, and relationships and engagement. And we try to use all of that in a messaging campaign, and we do it aggressively with joint partners like CISA, HISAC, MSISAC, mm -hmm. um, and other partners like that. I'm certainly leaving a few out. But if you see the StopRansomware.gov platform, you'll see exactly the forward-facing messaging and the joint partnerships there. Are you familiar with StopRansomware.gov? Have you heard that reference before? Probably, but it, yeah. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of entities in the government there's a lot of yeah. organizations uh there's a lot of stuff so not to say what you're doing isn't important but maybe that's why it doesn't totally you know i i um, that's an important point and i'm glad you you raised that issue mm -hmm. it, the the space is flooded mm -hmm. you know it's flooded with public messaging it's flooded with private sector companies that are also doing uh this in many ways for you know, a paid subscription uh but we're trying to do as much as we can at what we would call the tlp clear level to get this um, messaging out, IOCs, TTPs, hash files, so that so that we're preparing people pre-incident, right? Mm -hmm. the, the goal is increase security awareness, identify our priorities, um, and increase that engagement opportunity and the discussion, uh, trying to be entrepreneurial as we can with with all of our partners, the private sector, private public sector, um, nonprofit, right? So um, StopRansomware.gov is probably the epitome um, when it comes to this conversation. How do we, as the FBI, balance the investigative side with the network defense messaging side? StopRansomware.gov, for my money, is the epitome of that. All right. So that's where you you, you want to sort of direct people. Um, let's level set. Um so give you, you know, our readers and people listening to this are going to be the CIOs and the CISOs hmm. at the health system. So hmm. we don't need to give them a lot of background um, on what's going on. They're living it. But, I, you know, with that being said, I want to get your opinion on how you think things are out there. Are they sort of, is there a sort of a steady state? We know there's a lot of ransomware going on. We read about it. Is it a steady state? Do you think things are going to get getting or going to get worse? Or do you have some reason to feel things are getting better? Yeah, look, it's really hard to tell because of our uh, what we believe is a massive underreporting um, of the incidents themselves. So um, 
we're not being flippant about this question at all. And, and, but, but what we tried to figure out within my shop and other shops and every field office is, you know, what, what is a steady state, right? And, you know, if the question is how much ransomware is there, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the only answer right now is yes. We, it's hard for us to understand sector-based risk collectively. Uh, it's hard to understand threat actor activity because of the way that this ransomware as a service ecosystem operates. Um, we believe a few years ago, we certainly saw a spike. We saw a spike in reporting. We saw a spike in awareness. And then from a uh, reporting standpoint, we think we have seen a little bit of a normalizing. But again, I would say any any statistic I would provide you today is an underreporting. We have IC3 as one of our main uh, reporting mechanisms in in the FBI and in the USG, and we rely on some of those statistics. But we only rely on it as a measure of central tendency. And we have some collection across our investigations and other relationships. Uh, opportunities to talk with private sector and what they're seeing in their incident response, uh, tracking to the extent we can ransomware payments. Uh, We just know right now the monetization of software security flaws presents real opportunities to cyber criminals right now. And Mm. uh, we are dealing with, we are dealing with a real challenge when it comes to the ransomware uh, crisis, if you will, or, uh, or epidemic, if you will. And these are strong words, but um, we know there's a, we know, especially in, in the health sector, right there, there can be no downtime. And we've seen some of these incidents where, um, you know, the, the Irish Health Service, for example, but we don't have to go to Ireland to look for the some of the yeah. healthcare sectors that have been hit here in the U.S. Um, there's many examples of it. So trying to get the message out on network defense, trying to work across all the sectors, uh, healthcare as well as, as other sectors, um, trying to build that trust with companies pre-incident trying to build that trust and that communication with CISOs and CIOs pre-incident so that when the incident inevitably occurs um and as we were talking about earlier uh a, a chaotic day in everyone's life but if we have these relationships and we have an understanding of the flow and the process then maybe we can work around the margins to make uh incident response a little bit more efficient. We're, we're not technically, you know, an incident response agency or a network remediation agency either, but as we do engage with our victims and and those those call-ins, we certainly bring specialized techniques, specialized understanding. Um in fact, that stopransomware.gov platform has a really nice overall stop ransomware guide with uh, network architectural design suggestions in it. So uh, we can bring a real specialization to those um, incidents. There's a, a lot there, right? I mean, there's a lot there. So you let's talk about one of the more sensitive issues here. You talked about the, the monetization, mm-hmm. uh, right? And what you mean by that is people pay, mm-hmm. right? So people mm-hmm. are paying ransoms. This is mm-hmm. what we mean by monetization uh the best incentive you can have as a cyber criminal right i mean that's why they're doing it exactly so this is a big problem right because 
I believe, and I'm pretty sure, um, the messaging is don't pay. Um, you shouldn't pay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's you can't pay and you're going to get you, you'll be brought up on some sort of criminal charges if you pay. I don't think that's the case, mm-hmm. but it certainly is a we'd really rather you didn't pay because all these kind of bad things happen if you do pay. We yeah. know people are paying, right? Mm-hmm. We know that's happening. Um, they're paying because theoretically they could be out of business if they don't pay. Uh, nobody wants to pay, but they're paying. So you and you talked about underreporting, mm. right? So mm. one of the things that we'll, we could talk about here, it, it all dovetails together. I'm going to drop a big bomb of stuff on you, and then you can go where you want with it. Um, and I'm thinking, if I know the FBI doesn't want me to pay, mm-hmm. I don't even know if they're going to let me pay. So if I call them, and it turns out that we as an organization want to pay, mm. what do they do? Do I say, hey, guys, thanks thanks for your help, but, you know, we're good. We're going to pay. Or can you hang around and continue to help mm-hmm. if they've made the decision to pay? So let's let's uh, overview of that. Mm-hmm. People are paying. You don't want them to pay. I don't know how the FBI uh, participates uh, in that process if the decision is made to pay. I'm going to drop it there. You You go where you want. Well, look, Anthony, thanks. I mean, it's it's probably one of the most important elements of this ransomware ecosystem. It's, you know, the criminality exists because the payments exist, because the vulnerabilities exist. These these operators, these actors are biased towards the flaw. They're biased <clears throat> towards the vulnerability. They're biased towards the payout. Um, we do not recommend paying ransoms. Uh, Paying ransoms incentivizes criminal behavior and invites potentially even more risk upon our current victims and future potential future victims. Uh, in fact, paying a ransom doesn't even guarantee that your network will be restored and the integrity that you're seeking and the availability that you're seeking is, is even going to be back to where it, it started. Um, so, and once potential data was exfilled, how do we understand that it's still in the wind? And would we would we allow any trust with a threat actor who just breached my network to say, "Oh, well, here's your data back. Thanks for paying me." So there's a there's a lot built into the decision around paying a ransom. Uh, we don't recommend paying ransoms. However, we're very clear in our position of pragmatism as it relates to choices that boards have to make choices that hospitals have to make to get back up and running um we we want to be part of the process once this incident happens we don't want to be in competition with any decisions that the company or the board or the decision makers are making about paying a ransom we will as the FBI react to any of those decisions. And we will hopefully be able to pursue some investigative avenues, even if a ransom is paid and potentially as part of that payment, there might be some tools and authorities that we can leverage. Um, However, like I said, it's, it's a fine line. We, Mm. we try to talk about here, uh, we don't recommend paying, but if the decision is made to pay, 
there is very little risk that we will come in and have some competitive um, decision making pressured upon those victims to somehow extend their downtime. You know, our goals, our goals are their goals when it comes to getting back up and running and understanding the threat that uh, put them down. The only, you know, the real uh, sensitive variable is that if people do decide to pay, there may be an unfortunate um, situation where the the payment is made to someone who is, unbeknownst to the victim, a um, a sanctioned entity, you know, maybe an OFAC sanctioned entity. So, again, we would want to work with that victim to let them know if that was part of the process and how could we mitigate that decision in in the in the grand scheme of things from st- a strategic standpoint. So, there is risk in paying from a data standpoint, from incentivizing criminal activity, but also from a potential paying out a sanctioned entity which we would certainly work with victims to understand better. Really interesting. So so to you know what you're saying is we're we're not we're not going to say we're out of here, right? If, if if somebody wants to go down that we don't say we're done. Pack up, let's go. You don't do no, that. No, it's a good point because we want to stay as engaged as possible with um our victims and we want to treat their information as sensitively as we always do and we are very discreet in the way we handle that information and even if there's a payment we can stay involved in that in that process as a whole as as the investigative agency um and then like i said maybe even if the ransom is paid there are investigative tools and authorities that might allow um some follow up lead generation from that decision very good. You know, as I think through these scenarios of a ransomware incident, I uh, haven't been in the room during one, but uh, I, it does sound to me that there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen uh, when something like this goes down. You would have um, the emergency management department of the hospital that is supposed to manage uh, large incidents. Mm-hmm. So you've got, if it's if it's a ransomware incident, you're going to start with your CISO and your CIO. Uh, but if it if it if it can't be quickly isolated to sort of a manageable IT situation, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to impact departments, and you're talking about shutting down clinical tools, uh, pre- you know, eventually you could even be right. talking about patient diversion. Sure. Then you bring in emergency management; they're going to deal right. with the overall. Uh, you're going to have your sort of upper echelon of the health system, which mm-hmm. would be sort of the CEO, the COO, the CFO. You know, there may be consultations with the board. I'm not sure about that, but um, there may be. Maybe. You've got privacy. You've got legal. You've got marketing communications. You've got HR. You've got those clinical leadership folks, which I mentioned, which would be the people you'd want to discuss with potential impact of, hey, we're going to shut down your EHR in two hours or in one hour or in 20 minutes. So, you know, bust out the paper documents, right? That kind of a thing. You might have regional authorities if we, you know, county and state, if we're talking about diverting patients, you could have the FBI if you've called them. You could have your cyber insurance company will certainly want to be at the table. Um, And you could have, you mentioned before, a cyber incident management company that you may have had on retainer. That's a lot of entities in a room trying, and there's a lot of moving parts and there's information that's changing by the minute. 
So what are your thoughts there on, on, again, we're talking to the CIOs and the CISOs. What advice would you want to give them about how to, how to sort of navigate this and maybe who's going to have those determining voices in the room? Mm. Yeah, it's, you lay out a very complicated picture there and it's exactly right. Um, and, and I also heard your interesting conversation with Denise from HISAC uh, sure. and, and you talked about this because at what point does then the, the CISO work stop, the IT work stop, and then it turns into a non-information technology problem of whiteboards and index cards. And it's a whole, it's a whole of hospital or whole of clinic response. I would say it's the same on the responding side or the investigative side. We it might be chaotic and it will be chaotic for the victim and, and for the incident handlers, but it's not as chaotic for us because we've been there before and we've done that. So one of the things I'd like to think we would do is we could come in there and offer some sense of organizational sanity on a day that is completely insane. So um, you know, we always think we we begin with the victim in mind. Um, we work collaboratively with all those parties you mentioned, by the way, you know. Our preference would be we get called in to that exact scenario you laid out and we all sit around the C-suite and discuss lanes in the road and how FBI can add value, how we can work with the SRMA, HHS and the healthcare sector space, CISA uh, and, and the incident responders um, and, and all of the insurance, uh, legal and, and the CEO, CIO, CISA. So we think we can add some organizational health to the situation when it would it would appear there is no organizational health but again we have a track record of success in doing that um collaboration is key for us and collaborating with all those agencies and maybe maybe there's information that we collect from this incident that we reach back outside of fbi channels throughout our law enforcement community through what is now known as the joint ransomware task force we can bring a strategic picture into a tactical situation mm. and and hopefully that that could help people get the network back up and running again which we won't primarily be focused on but we may bring a decryption into that mm -hmm. uh, uh into that room we may have some decryption technology or or know where to find it um so there are skills or are unique tailored technical skills investigative skills um, negotiation skills uh, and crisis management skills that we bring to the table that we think are invaluable. Um, and, and like you kind of just heard me describe, we, we don't think effective protection and response is an FBI alone job. It's, mm. it's not. Do you, um, I'm picturing panic, you know, among these victims. I mean, and we're talking sophisticated people. We're talking, sure. You know, these are these are executives at, at, at large health systems. In my this scenario, I'm thinking of. I mean, you could have you know any different size, but these are sophisticated people. Um, and I'm still, I'm, I'm guessing you're still going to see some degree of panic. I mean, do you see that? Yeah. Yes, we do, and and uh, we, you know, we see some, and it's not just the technical challenges it's the it's the business of of running whatever business you have in, engaging your clients i mean in in your case or in this sector's case it's patient care it's no downtime um we see we see the panic but that's why i feel like 
and and certainly in some incidents where it's an upstream provider and we have multiple victims from an upstream provider so it's not just a one and done incident for us it's actually hundreds or thousands of victims impacted because of an upstream weakness uh, in a managed service provider update mm. that was sent out to all of these victims. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a coordinated approach to that. You know, one one victim in Omaha has to be dealt with the same way as a victim in Detroit. Um, even if the FBI main investigation is, let's say, in our Washington field office. So we can bring that collaborative nature. We can bring that technical skill into the picture there. Um, but I would agree there is an element of panic involved. Are, are you talking? Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the underreporting. Um, are we assuming th- that there are organizations that go through something like this um, and decide not to contact the FBI? Oh, I sure. mean, that's that's to me that's pretty oh, scary, <laughs> right? I'd rather call the FBI and have you guys on my side than uh, kind of go it alone. But I guess oh. some entities are making that decision. Well, Anthony, we agree. So yes, yeah. let's get that, let's get that yeah. message out there. Um, <laughs> You know, it's uh, we don't compel any cooperation with the FBI after a cyber breach or intrusion, depending on on the victim. I mean, there are some some requirements, regulatory requirements for reporting, depending on what the industry is. Um, you know, we would we would try to point to some really positive public uh, feedback, and when we were responding to an incident a pretty well-known managed service provider incident. We had the CEO of that company come out very publicly and say, Hey, my number one call was to the FBI Mm -hmm. and here's why, and here's how it happened. Here's where all those questions and concerns that we had within our board or within our client base. Um, we, we had a trust, we had pre-existing relationships, which is critical. Um, we had done some testing in the wild. We had some guidance from the FBI already. And so when the incident occurred, we had a little bit of a runway mm-hmm. uh, that we could rely on. And so there was a really, um, really important, well-known op-ed written by um, the CEO of Kaseya okay. uh, that talked about this exact notion of, hey, it can be, it's already your worst day as Mm. a company or as a clinic or as a hospital. Okay. Let's start with that as the baseline. And then people don't normally think about inviting the FBI into their work environment to support their, um, you know, incident response issues. But I would tell you, like you just heard me say for the Kaseya incident, we bring a specialized skill set. We bring a discreteness of working with victims. We bring an understanding of the investigative process that can help us cut through some of the chaos and the confusion and 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 the technical um, challenges that the the CIOs and CISOs are going to be dealing with trying to isolate and identify the incident already is mm-hmm. a technical challenge. And so maybe we can bring some of those resources to bear. It sounds like you know, when I say it, it sounds like it can be very complicated and can be in competition with what's happening on the ground. But we have the skill set to know that, look, we will try to be in concert with mm-hmm. all of these response incidents and not in competition. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, 
the perception, if we don't think about it too deeply, is that it's always clear when to call mm. and that maybe people are not calling when they should. But I think we might ha- you might have some of the opposite. You may have a lot of calls that are not warranted. You know, like, hey, we don't we don't do that. That's that's not really a thing. So sometimes it's obvious. Maybe if you get a flashing screen that says your system shut down because of an international cyber gang. Oh, FBI. But there could be a lot of variables, a lot of different ways. So when when should an organization call the FBI? When should they not call the FBI? Um, so, you know, some information around that. Yeah, and, and this can be complicated. And I would say when to call the FBI is uh, is today. Uh, I know that sounds strange. Um, but you would call the FBI today to establish these contacts, establish these relationships so that you can build a trust up so that if, and when the incident happens, you can say, you know what, I don't know if the FBI wants to know about this, but why don't I call my FBI agent contact and find out if they care about this incident. So I think creating those relationships now rather than post incident is crucial. Uh, I think the dividing line between when to call the FBI and someone else is especially on a day where your systems are encrypted or data is exfilled and it's out in the wild and people are selling it. Um, it's, it's a very cloudy decision, you know, the fog of war, the fog of cyber response. Um, but I would say for the health sector, of course, the SRMA, HHS, FBI, and CISA is, is a three-headed monster. Who do I call? When do I call them? I'm very serious about saying call the FBI today and establish that relationship um, because what we can do is we can collaborate with all of those agencies. We could even come out and work on some cyber hygiene practices with your clinic or with your uh, hospital network or your your managed service provider, your clients, whatever it might be. Um, you know, there are no limits and culturally when and who and how and culturally we don't want any limits on people contacting the FBI in relation to cyber incident reporting and and follow up threat hunting and and artifacts that you might have on your network that you feel like you've come to an understanding of who did it uh we would welcome that contact um, you know, we have like I said a technical understanding of well maybe maybe your systems are encrypted Maybe there was exfil. Maybe there was just exfil. Well, maybe we can come in there and we have experience with maybe preventing that information being leaked. So there are angles that we can address. We can address these angles within our cyber strategy. And it doesn't have to be some all-encompassing behemoth of, well, the FBI is now here. They're taking over and they're going to handle this. That is definitely not our handbook and our strategy, but it is very tailored, it is very surgical, and and hopefully it will help ultimately get people back up and running and also defend themselves and also help us understand who did it to chase those threat actors and their money and prevent future victimization. Well, I think that's a really good point, um, and you just made me think of it a lot differently. So I was picturing... You know, if you call the FBI, like this, the tactical SWAT team like shows up at the hospital front, like, no, no, yeah. no. Right. But that's usually your... not when they call us. <laughs> <laughs> we do your... that, but you, but yeah. we, usually don't, we don't get those phone calls first. No, 
No. But it's a great point that if you build a relationship, you know, if you get to know Alan ahead of time yeah. and something happens, it's a lot easier to reach out to Alan and say, hey, Alan, what do you think? This is we just just happened. And you go, oh, that's nothing. Or you said, yeah, we're going to we're going to come down. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot more calm and manageable than if I've never contacted the FBI for uh, there's much more trepidation on doing it. I don't know what I'm going to kick off. I think that might be the fear. I don't know what I'm going to kick off if all of a sudden I'm not in control anymore. And you talked about that. That's not the case. We understand that. We we totally understand that, um, especially if you don't have experience here. It's, it's the unknown of working with the FBI. Mm -hmm. What will we come in and do? And how much equipment will we show up with? And are we going to kick the company out and put crime scene tape around the building? Right. You know, like That's right. That's we, totally right. Right, right. So we want to just be able to talk this process through with people. I mean, in some cases, we'll just have one responding agent. We'll have one responding agent with maybe a computer scientist. We'll have, depending on the level of incident, we could have a team come out. But we're not going to do this without consultation with the victims. You know, we're not just going to say, hey, okay, you called us. We'll be right there. And then 25 people show up in a mobile command post. We don't do that without the coordination and collaboration with the victims and the other agencies that we think need to respond. Um, you know, we are very public about saying that we can put cyber, specifically cyber trained professionals on uh, on any door uh, in a very short amount of time in the U.S. And then as well as overseas, we usually talk about responding within a day. Uh, we have a big network overseas of of technically trained agents and cyber agents overseas who can also be leveraged. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go soon. Um, just maybe two quick ones. Um, you know, people want this to stop. Mm. You know, everybody wants crime in general to stop, to be less. Um, so what do you want people to know about sort of your ability to get the bad guys and, mm. and to get the bad guys and, maybe to have that have eventually some effect on the volume. Um, and I know it may not be, it may not be. So, so if, if your organization has been hit with a ransomware attack, I'm assuming it's might not always line up to, we're going to get them for this attack. Maybe it's a gathering intelligence and information that will help us eventually get them when mm. we've seen them attack six places. I don't know your mm. thoughts there. What do you want the, the victims to know potential victims out here are going to listen to this about, our ability as a country, the FBI's ability to make some headway on this. I know it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is an element of, uh, of a volume challenge here, as we know. And of, uh, I mean, I really like the question because you didn't say how many bad guys have you arrested? Um, that is an, a massive tool in the FBI toolbox, indictment and arrest as, as it relates to the FBI and Department of Justice. These tools in our toolbox are, are are great remedies for the issue that we that we confront every day. But they're not the only tools and the only remedies. So, um, you know, we talk about joint sequenced operations, leveraging partnerships. We have had great success, notable big time wins in this space over the last couple of years. I'd point to a recent Quackbot infrastructure takedown using and leveraging partners and some FBI tools and authorities. Um, these types of infrastructure takedowns or money seizures, uh, indictments, uh, arrests, extraditions, 
we want to leverage all of those tools and authorities and maybe not just FBI tools and authorities. You know, Quackbot is a great example. You saw uh, that that was an international partnership and uh, we need to rely on that heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want to put out as many advisories as we can. I mean, we, I can go through some numbers here. Um, we're talking about from an impact standpoint on the threat we will go to any length to make an impact on the threat and it it can be across several pillars of strategy for us Uh, thousands of individualized threat warnings disseminated hundreds of public threat advisories joint cybersecurity advisories like stopransomware.gov we've said that a few times uh we have fbi unilateral messages private industry notifications public service announcements if you go to stop ransomware this stop ransomware.gov this week you'll see by the end of uh tomorrow three new advisories on royal ransomware uh Reseda today uh and then another coming out tomorrow on a very very notable topic um so hundreds of arrests convictions indictments yes mm-hmm. that's a tool in our toolbox but also thousands of advisories and also infrastructure takedown, intelligence sharing across the globe, a lot of public-private partnership. You know, that cyber is a team sport thing. You hear that a lot, I hope. Mm-hmm. It's not a platitude. Mm-hmm. It's We say that for a reason. A team sport is not just me and some other law enforcement agency or an intel agency. It's It's our victims. It's our potential victims. It's private sector. Um, it's you. Anthony, uh, you know, these partnerships are essential to getting this message out. All right, Alan, final thought, uh, opportunity for a final thought, final takeaway. Picture yourself speaking to the chief information security officer of let's make them a three hospital health system. Uh, you know, they got the clinics, they got the physician practices, a full health system, mm-hmm. about three. I mean, they range from 25 bed critical access to health systems with 50 hospitals, but, you know, average, maybe two, three hospitals. What is what is your final takeaway, your thought for them, best piece of advice? Yeah. No, and that's a good point, too, because the way you kind of laid that question out is some of these networks are going to be better equipped to deal with this threat than others, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we're very sensitive to that, especially that rural hospital, maybe a disconnected network, and yet still highly critical patient care being delivered. Uh, so I would I would just say building that trust with that CISO, CIO level, but also the practitioner, incentivize security in your business, incentivize security in your business, disincentivize poor hygiene, understand where your information is in your in your network and and ensuring that. There are no misconfigurations or exposures. Give yourself and your workforce uh, phishing tests. Look, training cybersecurity hygiene is expensive and it's annoying, mm-hmm. but it's essential. And you know, not to be too dramatic about it, but it could literally save lives in, mm-hmm. in some cases. So have a plan. Create that plan in concert with the FBI, with HHS, with your board, with your incident responder, with your insurance company. Ensure that your supply chain, when you're 
procuring software that you've gone through some thought process or evaluation of this secure by design idea. Like there has to be an incentive around building security and building those, you know, virtual fences around your information and around your services. Because as I said early on, these threat actors care about one thing and it's the vulnerability because they can attack that vulnerability and that's how they make their money. Mm-hmm. So how do we understand what those vulnerabilities are? Well, today, today, we go back and we test our mitigations. We test our system against things that FBI has said and StopRansomware.gov are the threat vectors. Okay, hey, let's look at the threat vectors in the Stop Ransomware guide that I carry everywhere with me, and it's right in front of me today. Nice. We look at the Stop Ransomware guide that was a pushed out in October, and we say, okay, well, what what is the government MSI SAC? FBI, NSA, CISA, what are they saying about what those threat vectors are? Not just, by the way, not just to the health sector. What are those threat vectors? What are those mitigations that they recommend? Let's test those mitigations against our live environment. It's going to be costly. It's going to be uh, a few days of frustration, maybe, but you may find an exposure. You may find a vulnerability Mm -hmm. that um, if it hasn't been exploited yet, it's going to be. All right, Alan, that was absolutely wonderful. I appreciate your time today. I think this is going to be really valuable to our readers. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate the platform. Thank you so much for what you're doing.